Now today we're in week three of a series that we're calling Greater. And that title comes from a passage in the New Testament where John the Baptist was speaking about his relationship with Jesus. And he says this, he, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. And that is the goal for every single one of us that follow Jesus. We want to make his name greater everywhere we go and in everything that we do. And that was Emma's story in that video, right? She's, she's giving up buying this toy at Menards so she can give this money for something greater than herself. And I love that she's following her parents' lead in that. They're watching parents lead them down this path and they're responding. So it's just a really exciting season for us. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this greater vision that God has given our church family. And if you want to catch up on what that is, you can go to genesischurch.me backslash greater. There's a 12 minute video there that you can watch that you can get all the details. You can turn to page nine of your uh, greater series booklet. If you didn't get one of these, you can raise your hand and uh, one of our host team will get those in your hands. But let me give you a quick flyover of what we feel God's calling us to for the next two years in this greater vision. Over the next two years, we are asking the Lord for his help to work in all of us to collect $7.5 million to accomplish three specific things as a church family. Now, the first thing is we wanna up our efforts on disciple making. We believe that that is the most important thing that we're gonna do as a church family. Jesus said to make disciples that make disciples. And so we're saying, yes, we're into that. And so this first bucket is really increasing our, our annual budget so we can continue to do those things. And we're growing and we're expanding and the needs are growing. And so that's the first chunk of the money. The second is we wanna to continue to reach our cities. And we're trusting the Lord for $3 million over the next two years to help relocate our Noblesville campus. That's where the most urgent need is right now. They are outgrowing that facility and that parking lot. And this is, by the way, this is a fantastic problem for us to have as a church family. It is exciting. And so we know that $3 million doesn't necessarily build a building or doesn't even buy a building, but it's a significant investment in a first step. Now you're probably thinking, okay, that's great. That's Noblesville. But what about us here in Carmel? Well, just so you know, I don't think we're far behind. We're seeing more and more new faces all the time. We're seeing gin kids blowing up. So we see indicators of growth and we anticipate relocating from this spot or building on at some point in the future. And so we're just excited that as a church family, we're moving down this path together. Now, the third piece of this greater vision is we wanna continue to be a generous church. We wanna change the world by giving away an additional $300,000 to our ministry partners locally and around the world. One of my favorite things about this church is that we celebrate generosity. And so as we're collecting money to accomplish things for ourselves, we've said we wanna give a lot of that money away too to help our partners locally and around the world. And so that's the vision. That's the greater vision, $7.5 million over the next two years. But honestly, that's just the secondary goal. Our primary goal, we've said this from the beginning, is that everyone that considers Genesis to be their church home, to be in on this with us. And here's the truth. We could, we could collect all the money or, be, or beyond. And I hope we go beyond. But we could get all of that. But if, if everyone isn't bought in together, we will not have reached our number one objective. And that's all of us buying in and being on board. And so would you join us in praying about taking this next step of generosity. For some of us, it's gonna be that we're gonna give for the first time. Or maybe for many of us, it's gonna be that we're gonna begin to give consistently. Or for those of us that give consistently, we're gonna stretch and become radical givers. But it's gonna take all of us on board and praying about this together. 
And I want you to know that my wife, Casey, and I, we've been practicing this, this idea of giving back to God first ever since we first got married. And it hasn't always been easy, but I would say that it's been a journey and we've seen God bless us along the way in ways we never anticipated. And so it's, this isn't a destination that you reach. It is a journey that God takes you on in life. It's a journey we wanna go on together. And I love knowing that my kids are being brought up in a church that celebrates generosity. They see so many of you being generous with your resources and with your time. And so think about what we're modeling for the next generation. We see from Emma's story, they're already catching on. And imagine what God could do in and through us when our kids catch on to this as well. So as we move forward this morning, I wanna take a moment to pray. And I wanna ask for God's help and the Holy Spirit's guidance as we jump into God's word together to see what he has for us today. So would you pray with me real quick? Father, we wanna say thank you. I'm thankful for several rows of children uh, that are excited and that are back learning about you this morning, Jesus. And I wanna thank you that you have brought Shana to our staff. We're so excited that their family is becoming part of our staff family. We're excited that we're growing and that we're expanding at both of our campuses. We're, we're experiencing growing pains and we thank you for those things. And it is not, I'm not thanking you because the name of Genesis is becoming greater. It's that we want the name of Jesus to be greater in all that we do. So Father, as we step into your word this morning, would you open our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have for us? Would you speak to us through your word and would you help us not just to learn new things, but to respond to you in obedience, to do whatever it is that you're gonna ask us to do next. Jesus, we love you. It's all for your glory and it's in your powerful name that we pray, amen. One of our family's favorite games that we play around the dinner table often is Would You Rather. How many of you have played Would You Rather before? Okay, it's a really simple icebreaker where someone asks a would you rather question with two possible scenarios. And so I wanted to play it with you this morning. So here it is. Just think about which of these two describes you. Would you rather always be 20 minutes late everywhere you go for the rest of your life or always be 20 minutes early? Okay, now by show of hands, how many of you would choose to always be late? It's okay, you can put your hands. I know you're out there. Don't be shy, all right? God doesn't like when you lie, okay? Now, I just wanna say this. Life doesn't have to be this way, okay? It doesn't, you're stressing the rest of us out, okay? There's clearly a right answer to that would you rather question, and it's always be early, okay? But you see how the game works, right? You laugh and you get to know things about people and you judge people secretly when you learn their answers. And so in our family though, we, we've come up with this thing where we just like to see you squirm. When we play would you rather, like we want the scenarios to be impossible or, or super awkward. And so here's some of the would you rather questions we talk about in our house. Would you rather not take a shower for an entire month or wear the same dirty clothes every day for a month? Now, before you answer, just know if you have middle schoolers in the home, those answers vary from day to day, right? And I don't know that there is a right answer in that instance. Would you rather wear a shirt that's one size too small or two sizes too big? It probably depends on how you're shaped, right? Like it just, it's, it can be awkward. Here's a good one. Would you rather try to outswim a hungry shark or outrun an angry lion? How would you rather die? That's basically how that one boils down, right? How would you rather die? But here's my personal favorite. I made this one up myself. And when I shared it at the dinner table, oh, I'm just excited to see your response. Would you rather drink a smoothie made of meat or one cup of warm ketchup? 
That's exactly what my kids said. <laughs> so you see how it works, right? You should play this game today at lunch. And in fact, if you're in a connection group, I want to invite you to play this together when you meet, right? Ask some would you rather, some would you rather questions. And here's the truth. Would you rather is fun when you can laugh it off, when there's nothing on the line and you can just move on with life. But it is not so fun when life throws you a real would you rather scenario that you know is going to test you in ways you never imagined. And in this series, we've been studying through the life of a man in the Old Testament named Abram, whose personal spiritual journey with God has been recorded for us in the book of Genesis. And today we're going to see, look at a specific period of time where he was presented with several would you rather scenarios that were going to see how he would reprioritize his life and stretch his faith with God in ways he never imagined. So I want to encourage you to follow along with us today in two specific ways. If you have your booklet, I want you to turn to page 20 and you can take some notes here, okay? And the second thing I want you to do is turn to Genesis chapter 13. If you have a Bible or you want to turn there on, their, on your phone, you can turn there now. In the Bibles around the room, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one close to your feet. You can turn to page 8. But let me tell you what we've been learning about Abram in these last two weeks. In Genesis 12, we learn that God was pursuing Abram in a deeply personal way. God met him where he was physically and spiritually. And we see that in, the, in Genesis 12, God gave him a greater calling for him and his family to respond to. And God called him to greater trust when things didn't make sense and he was afraid. And so the title of today's message as we enter into Genesis 13 is, if you want to write this down, greater priorities, greater priorities. Because what we're going to see is he's going to learn how to set or, or better yet reset his priorities based on God's faithfulness in the past and his promises for the future. Now, at the end of Genesis 12, last week, we learned that there was a famine in the land where Abram and his family had been called to live by God. And so Abram panicked a little bit. He didn't know what to do. So he left the promised land and he went down to Egypt because that's where food was. Now, I don't know if that was a good decision or a bad decision, but the thing is he went and he made some not so good decisions and he stayed too long. But while he was there, we don't know how long he was there, but he gained great wealth. But eventually Pharaoh came to him and said, you have to leave. You cannot stay here anymore. And so they leave Egypt and they begin the trek back to this land that God has promised to his family. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 13, verses one and two. This is what we read. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot, this is his nephew, he factors into the story today, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. So while he was there, he becomes really, really wealthy. And then look at verses three and four. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. So what we learn here is that he's coming back to a place where he had settled once before. And then look at what verse four tells us. Where he had built an altar to the Lord. Now this is really, really important. If you go back in Genesis 12, we learned that this altar was built by Abram himself with his own hands. And altars were really important in Abram's culture. This is where you would go to interact with God. This is where you would offer sacrifices and you would worship God. So he's coming back to this place at an altar to interact with God at a place he's been before. And then look at what the end of verse four tells us. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. He began to pray to God again. And apparently he decided that it was a good idea to begin his re-entry into this land that God had given him, was going to give his family by stopping to take a moment 
and to reach out to him and worship him and, and pray for guidance. And we don't know exactly what he prayed for, but if he didn't pray for wisdom, he should have because the very next thing that happens is this series of would you rather scenarios that were gonna ultimately define his family's future. So how is Abram going to respond? Well, we see what happens in verses five through seven. It says, now Lot, this is Abram's nephew, who was moving about with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. But the, but the land could not support them while they were staying together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay in the land together. And quarreling began to arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. And also the writer of Genesis 13 tells us that the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at this time. Now, some commentators would say the land is becoming so crowded that it's busier than a Chick-fil-A parking lot on a Friday night. There's no place to drive. There's no place to walk. It's dangerous. It's crowded. It's a sticky situation. And Abram's got a decision to make. And so here's his first would you rather scenario. Would you rather live close to your wealthy family and deal with daily conflict or part ways and live in peace? And from what we can tell, Abram and Lot, they got along, but this was a necessary decision. There was too many of them to stay in this land. And so look at how Abram responds to his nephew Lot in verses 13, in chapter 13, verses eight and nine. So Abram said to Lot, son, you need to move out of my basement and get a place for yourself. It doesn't say that, but that's what we would be tempted to say. You've been leeching off me for too long. You need to get your own place. But that's not what Abram does. He says, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, this is really important because Abram is beginning to practice generosity towards others first. Now, I want you to imagine that you're his nephew, Lot. You, you can choose. So would you rather? Would you rather keep your rich uncle happy or would you rather choose the land that's best for you? We'll look at what we learn in verses 10 through 12. Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord. Okay, the writer here is saying it was like the garden of Eden. It was beautiful. He says it was like Egypt. And then jump down to verse 11. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived with, in the land with Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain. okay. Now, the writer of Genesis says, this is a big deal. This land is like the Garden of Eden. So would you rather live in a place that's like the Garden of Eden or anywhere else on earth? This is a no-brainer. If you're Lot, you should pick the best land, right? And so that's, that's what he does. He picked the, water, the waterfront property with all the beautiful farmland that came along with it. But here's what's crazy. That should have been Abram's decision. He was the patriarch. He was older, he was wiser, he was wealthier. He had been providing for Abram or for Lot all this time. And yet he's generous towards his nephew and says, why don't, why don't you choose first? And it's safe to say that both of these men were ambitious and they were trying to do the best with the resources they had to, to, to save and prepare for their families. But here's what we're gonna see in the, in the chapters to come. We're gonna see that Abram's choices are started to be or are being guided by his growing trust in God, his faithfulness in God. And, and the result would be increased prosperity and blessing and multiplication for his family. But Lot's decision, they, they seem to be self-motivated. 
And they eventually, they lead to the decline of his morals and the destruction of his family. In fact, if you keep reading, what you'll find is Lot gets himself in trouble on a couple of occasions and his uncle Abram has to come and rescue him every, every time. And so as we move forward, I just wanna pause here and let's look at how these two men are prioritizing their life. Let's see what we can learn from them. So for starters, let's look at Lot. Lot prioritized based on his own self-interest. His decision seems to be based on which land could make him wealthier. And from a financial perspective, that makes pretty good sense, right? But from what we see in the text, he never once stops and prays and says, God, what do you want me to do? I've noticed that my uncle prays. That seems like a good idea. He just chooses the land that he thinks looks best. Now, think back in the story in Genesis. This happens somewhere else, doesn't it? In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve know they shouldn't eat from this particular tree, but what does Eve do? She says, well, that looks good for, for food. That's kind of attractive looking. I want to take that and eat it. She does exactly what she's not supposed to based on what she sees. So that is a really important lesson for us to learn. We see Lot doing this, doing this same thing. His decision seems to be based on what can make him wealthier. And that, that seems wise, but it gets him in a lot, a lot of trouble. In fact, if you fast forward a few chapters, you'll find that his family, he puts his family in serious physical and spiritual danger. Because eventually he moves from that beautiful plain where he was living and they move inside the city of Sodom. And it was probably, there was a lot of wealth there and there was lots of influence, but this city was notorious for being wicked. And here was the problem. Eventually God's gonna come to Lot and say, hey, you need to move out of the city. I'm going to destroy it. But unfortunately for Lot, his wife had become very accustomed to their lifestyle there. And when he says, it's time to go, she says, I don't want to leave. And when it comes down to it, she is destroyed with the city because she was tied to her lifestyle there. Now, I want you to hear me when I say this, okay? Sometimes God is going to call us to live in a place like Sodom. Somebody's got to live in West Lafayette, okay? Those people need Jesus too. <laughs> I actually got booed for a service when I shared that. So <laughs> I don't know how that was going to go over. That's why I paused a little bit. God's going to call us to live in places that we might not want to go or that might not seem right to us. But here's the goal. You know this. As citizens of heaven, we're called to be influencers for Jesus, to rub off on others so they become more like Jesus. But in Lot's case, his family was becoming more and more like the culture that they saw in Sodom. And it, it wasn't it wasn't good. But here's the thing. You and I, we face things like this all the time, don't we? We're always trying to prioritize and know, well, what's best and what do I do, what do, I do next? And some of us right now, we're pursuing jobs or careers that are terrible for our family. We're not doing a good job prioritizing. They're terrible for our family because we don't have any margin in our life to be with them or to enjoy them. It doesn't give us any margin to serve and, and, and do the things of, of God to advance his kingdom. And sure, like this, what it, what it is that we're pursuing, it, it's given us a great lifestyle. But I think we got to stop and ask ourselves the question, if it's stressing our family out, if it's not what God wants for us, is it really, is it really worth it? Is the lifestyle worth it? Some of us are in families where both parents work. And it's not because you choose it to be that way. It's because it takes two incomes to support your lifestyle. And I want you to hear me say this. This isn't an indictment against families where both parents work. But if you're in a family like that and the most important relationships are coming unraveled, it might be time to take a step back and say, what are we doing? 
What are we really shooting for? What is most important here? Some of us struggle to prioritize our kids' sports schedule. We, we live in the youth sports capital of the world, right? You could have your kids in sports all the time. And I get it. I've got four kids. We are just coming out of the longest basketball season in, in the history of our family. And the older our kids get, the more complicated it gets. And here's the thing. Sports are great. You learn great things by playing on a team and building those relationships. But the problem is it's so easy for us to prioritize that and keeping them busy with teaching them how to have a, a relationship with Jesus that's going to last. And Jesus says in the end, that's the only thing that's going to matter. Now, I want you to hear me on this. It's not that any of these things are wrong or evil or bad in and of themselves. But if there's anything that we can learn from Lot's story, we have to learn how to prioritize the things of God first. So what are you struggling to prioritize? Is it acquiring new things over being satisfied with the basics that God's providing? Is it your career over your family? Is it a public image over your personal integrity or promiscuity over sexual purity? We're all faced to prioritize things. And some of that we can keep hidden pretty well, but that's gonna be the challenge for us until we die. And if there's anything that we can learn from this story, it's that learning to, to prioritize our self-interest right now will come with a future cost that we might not be able to pay. That's Lot's story. Now I want to change gears and let's look at Abram. If Lot was prioritizing based on self-interest, Abram was learning to prioritize generosity towards God and others first. And we see this come out in his story in a couple of different ways. For starters, we see him building altars and worshiping God and interacting and praying with God. It started there. And then the next thing he does is he responds in generosity towards his nephew Lot. He allows Lot to, make, to choose which land he was going to get. But then this generosity towards God and others shows up again in the very next chapter in Genesis 14. So here's what happens. Here's a short version. Lot gets in trouble and Abram has to cook up a plot to rescue his family. He goes onto the battlefield. He wins, rescues Lot, and walks away from this battle with great riches. He's wealthier than he was before and he was really wealthy before. But when he's coming home from this battle, he meets a man named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek had a really interesting job title. His job title was King of Salem and Priest of God Most High. And when Abram meets him, his response was to immediately give him 10% of everything he had just gained. Now pay attention to that. This is huge because we're learning, Abram's learning to put God first in his decision-making, but what we're seeing here is he's learning to put God first when it comes to saying thank you. He's responding in thankfulness to God by giving him 10% right off the top saying, you provided for me, and he is setting a pace for the rest of us to follow. If we wanna know how to live in union with God, we should start by giving our first and best to God first. He's modeling gratitude and an attitude of thanksgiving. And you might wonder, and this is a fair question, well, why would giving to Melchizedek why is that equated with giving to God? And here's the short answer to that question. In Abram's day and age, Melchizedek was the instrument that God had chosen for him to do that with. But in the New Testament, after Jesus' resurrection, we see, we learn that God's appointed instrument, it's me and you, it's the church. And if you read throughout the book of Acts, you learn that God uses the church as the primary tool for the gospel to be preached and proclaimed. 
The church is where people are discipled in community. The church is the instrument that God uses to reach cities and to change the world. And this is why we're so passionate about this greater vision as a church family. And here's why. We believe that God has blessed this church richly in 17 years. He has done things that only he can do, but we are not satisfied to just stand and look at the past and say, oh, wasn't that fun? We are excited about what God wants to do in the future. We feel like he is calling us to this and we want everybody on board with us. And the goal isn't the name of Genesis. Let me be real clear. It is to make the name of Jesus greater, to help people find their way back to God and to make disciples of Jesus. And so when it comes to setting your priorities, I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you more like Abram or are you more like Lot? Let me ask it to you this way. Would you rather be known for prioritizing your life based on your own self-interest or by being generous to God and others first? Now, I don't know about you, but I know how I want to answer that question, but it is not always easy, is it? There's lots of things that can jump in and blind us and draw us off sides. And so to help us make this really practical, I've got a few diagnostic questions that I want all of us to think through together. And the first one is simply this. What comes first in your decisions? Whenever you have a decision to make, if you're like me, and I know you are, you think of something first. Is it your spouse or your kids? Is it your home or your future? Is it your career or your schedule? Or maybe if you were really honest, you're like, it's just me. I think of me first. Now, Jesus gave us clarity on this. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, but first seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. You start there and all the rest of that stuff will be provided for you. So Jesus says the first step is prioritizing the things of God first. And so there's another follow-up question that we can ask ourselves here. It's so simple. Write this down and begin to pray this this week. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do next? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to respond? And Jesus says, if you start praying that and you respond in obedience, he'll take care of your relationships and of your finances and your career and your family and even our desires. I had a conversation this week on this topic. A good friend of mine from here at Genesis called me and said, hey, I got a question for you. We've been saving up to buy a new vehicle for my wife. We've got three kids and the vehicle she's driving, it's just showing signs of age and we don't know how long it's gonna last. But we also, we love Genesis and we wanna give to greater. So what do you think that we should do? And so I heard him out and we talked and I said, man, this is really simple. Jesus didn't have a car at all. And you're, that old junky car that you're driving, you should just drive it until the wheels fall off, give all your money to greater. And he decided that they're not gonna come back anymore. <laughs> that is not how that conversation went. I'm glad that you laughed because some of you are like, you're a terrible pastor. Why would you do that? <laughs> Here's the truth. When he asked me that question, I said, I want you to hear me say this. I am incredibly honored that you asked. So tell me what you're thinking. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna pray for you, but here's what I want you to do. You need to go home and pray with your wife and you need to ask for the Holy Spirit's help and you do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do will be the right thing. And so several days later, he called and said, hey, thanks so much for hearing me out and this is what we're working on and that we, that this is what we feel like the Lord's telling us to do. That's the way this is supposed to look. God, what do you want me to do? He says it and we respond in obedience. Now we gotta be ready to do whatever he asks us to do, but he can do more than we can ask or imagine. So if we respond in obedience to him, we can be excited about what we're gonna see him do on the back end. Here's another question. This one's tough. Does God get the first and best of all you receive? 
We learn this from Abram in the Old Testament. He immediately gains all these riches and he gives a tenth. First thing to, to Melchizedek, to God and others first. Now, in biblical terms, you've probably heard this before, but that's where we get the word tithe. Tithe just means a tenth. And if you don't know where to start or if you don't have a target, I want you to shoot for giving at least that much away. We see it modeled throughout scripture, but I don't want you to stop there. Continue going. And you might be thinking, that sounds crazy. If it all belongs to God anyway, do you not think he can do more with it than you can? So we have to ask ourselves, what, what's the first and best of what we're getting? What's it going to? It's going to something. It might be our mortgage or a car payment. It might be travel ball or the next family getaway or dance lessons or whatever, a hobby. We can begin to model giving our first and best to God. And, and I don't think we'll regret it, but here's what we need to be reminded of. Whenever we sign up, whenever we agree to follow Jesus, this decision isn't about making comfortable little adjustments and tweaks. He's calling us to a life of surrender. He sacrificed for us and he says, come and sacrifice for me. I will take care of you in ways you could never imagine. And this greater vision for our church family, in a few years, we're gonna look back and we're gonna see what God did in and through us. And I just trust it's gonna be more than we could have ever asked for but it's gonna require all of us getting on board together. And I want you to know, my family, we've been praying about this. We've talked about it a lot, about what we're gonna give. And we're prepared to give the biggest gift we've ever given to anything ever. We're gonna increase our giving by 50% because here's why, we believe in the mission of this church. There is amazing things happening in this church family here and at Noblesville and hopefully in other campuses in the future. That's what God's calling our family to do. It's not gonna be easy. We were just talking yesterday saying, guys, we're not gonna be able to eat out all that much. We're gonna have to give extra stuff away, but we're all into it. And I know many of you are thinking about this and processing this. I want you to pray about what God is calling you to do. And some of you for the very first time are gonna start to give. And it's gonna freak you out. And then you're gonna say, oh my goodness, I just, he's done more than I could imagine. Some of you are gonna start to give consistently and you're gonna see how he's gonna fill in gaps they don't even make sense. And some of us are gonna take radical jumps and we're gonna tell stories of things that God has done that only God could do. And it's gonna get exciting. It's gonna get fun. It's gonna be hard. But you know what? It's gonna be worth it when we see the baptistry set up and people are being baptized into Jesus. It's gonna be worth it when someday we launch another campus. It, it will be worth it if we're willing to put the work in together. So I, I, wanna, I wanna share one more story with you about someone else that is making a greater commitment. And I think you'll see there's a similar theme with what we saw before. Check this out. I don't know about you guys. Isn't it exciting to know that the next generation is catching on to this? They're following their parents' leadership. We've seen a first grader and an eighth grader say, I'm all in. And so here's the question for all of us. What are we waiting for? We've modeled it really well, but now it's time to step into it all over again in newer and greater in newer and greater ways. And so here's a question. I want you to think about these two questions as we leave this morning. Would you rather be on mission with a growing church that's focused on making the name of Jesus greater in all that we do or be part of a church just as content to stand still and be happy with the past? Would you rather take a risk by giving sacrificially to something that is so much bigger than yourself or play it safe and hope that someone else 
covers your part. I know you guys, you want to see greater things. It's gonna take every single one of us. And so maybe you're wondering, okay, well, well, what do I do next? If you don't have one of these, you can get one on your way out. It's a commitment card. And I want to encourage you to do what our family's been doing, what many families have been doing. Start praying, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And then you respond by doing whatever he asks you to do. And then on Tuesday, March the 10th, we're gonna come together as a church family and we're gonna be, begin collecting these at a worship service and we're gonna begin tallying to see what we're gonna do. And I'm just, I'm hoping for big things. I know you are too, but begin praying about what your family's commitment can be. Now, as we wrap up this morning, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you a moment. At the bottom of your notes, you'll notice there's a couple of questions you can fill in on your own. Use this next 60 seconds to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and jot down your thoughts, answer some of those questions. And then if he tells you to do something, respond in obedience by doing it. So I'm gonna give you the next 60 seconds just to pray and meditate about what he's asking you to do. Father, I'm trusting you with my life and we as a church family, we're trusting you. Would you help us to go wherever you lead us? Would you help us to respond in obedience? Would you stretch us in every way imaginable for your glory, for the, for the sake of your name, Jesus? We pray that your name would be greater and that we would become less. Would you help us to make room for you in our everyday lives? Would you show us what to get rid of? Would you teach us to lean in and follow in faith? And I look forward to the day when we look back and we celebrate what you're doing in and through our church family and all of this. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand and worship with us this morning?